the Prime Minister, Christopher Luxon, is with us. Very good morning. Good morning, Mike. Is Kiwi Rail useless? Uh, well, I mean, I think some of the excuses we've heard about uh, hot tracks and uh, a lot of miscommunication isn't really acceptable at all. So and, uh, I think you've spoken to Simeon Brown, but he called them in last night to get a sense of what was going on. And um, clearly it's pretty suboptimal all around. Indeed. So by the time they don't run the ferries and they don't run the trains properly, is, is there anything you can do or are they just a problem that we have to live with? No, look, I mean, we want really good performance out of Kiwi Rail, and, and you're right. I mean, the IREX ferry uh, debacle was exactly that, a debacle. I mean, it was originally proposed at $750 million, ended up blowing up to $3.2 billion with no confidence that it wouldn't go even further, and only 20% of that cost was actually the ships. So, um, you know, there's some real capab- you know, there's some real questions to ask around, um, you know, their commercial intensity and just uh, operational intensity. And so, um, you know, I know Paul Goldsmith will be asking that question of the board and also of the CEO uh, as the state-owned um, enterprises minister. And as you've seen, you know, Simeon, uh, with respect to you know, transport issues, is getting onto it pretty hard as well, which is good. Indeed. He also commented on the pedestrian crossings in Auckland this morning, which is the engine room oh, of the ridiculous. economy, which is where you should come in. So AT are clearly yeah. out of control at 28 pedestrian crossings, at half a million a pop. What's going wrong with this country that this is even allowed to be discussed, talked about and acted upon? Well, here's the problem, right? We have become a country of bureaucrats rather than can-do folk. And the reality is we have got rules and red tape and compliance up the wazoo and it's actually getting in the way of getting things done uh, and that's why we have repealed the RMA uh, that was the effort of the last government that's why this quarter we want to bring serious fast track consenting in place so we actually don't have um, things getting caught up and there's some crazy projects you know, that have been exactly caught up in that red tape and then we're going to introduce our own improved streamlined RMA later on in the term but you know, that's the reality of it, we have become um, so, so bureaucratic um, so not you know, can't do rather than can do, and uh, we've got to liberate the system and actually really shock the system and get rid of that red tape. When, which brings us to Three Waters. And so mm. the difficulty with Three Waters is you're handing the responsibility to the very idiots who spend half a million dollars on pedestrian crossings. People, if they can't function at that level, what hope is there possibly, and you only got to look at Wellington to see it, what hope is there possibly they can run water properly? Yeah, well, Wellington's a particular case where they've got an entity that actually isn't properly structured in terms of they don't have, you know, they've got four councils that sort of have a voluntary contribution as to put some money in to actually invest in the water assets. Uh, that's what we've got to stop because it's been hopelessly local and as a result we've ended up with some terrible scenarios across the country. Equally, the other answer is not to be mindlessly central, which is what the previous government was doing, adding these 10 co-governed mega, you know, heavily bureaucratic entities. I think we've found the middle way through, which is actually say, look, these assets go back to local control and ownership. We should be holding them to account for managing them very well. We'll put two guardrails in place, make sure you hit the water standards, but importantly, also put an economic regulator to make sure they're making consistent investments in those assets. And then for councils up and down the country, come together in properly constructed CCO models that can actually access long-term debt and funding that matches up to the life of those assets. And then you don't have the ridiculous situation where 40% of the water's leaked out of Wellington, and all of a sudden there's an emergency, and there's a bit of number eight wire and band-aiding solutions on as we do a bit of a run around to try and find some cash to fix the problem. If you actually structure it in the right way, you can do that consistently, and therefore you can manage um, you know, what that means for rate increases for people going forward in a much more efficient way. So this is how it's done all around the world, Mike, in terms of giving uh, better funding and financing tools versus what we've been doing is trying to make the system work with existing tools that we've been using since 1975 uh, and it's not how infrastructure gets done in other parts of the world and we've got a hell of a job to do, a lot of work ahead of us um, but we've got to start doing this stuff. The other job you have to do that I couldn't believe and I don't know whether I was out of touch or whatever but we had Louise Upston on the programme last week 
the average length yeah. of time for a job seeker beneficiary in this country is 13 years. I, 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 still, I still cannot believe that is true. Yeah, it's true. No, it's true. It's gone from 10 and a half years, I think, to 13 years from memory. I mean, that is one of the most obscene legacies of Labour, is how on earth do you have 70,000 more people on unemployment when we had low unemployment? Um, we are determined we're going to get people off welfare and into work. We know that work is good for people economically, socially and health-wise. Um, and actually, a job seeker benefit is not a lifestyle option for 13 years. It's actually a safety net between jobs. You're deemed capable and able to work. And so we're going to make sure we get the young people in particular, who I'm particularly concerned about, we have, Mike, I think 40,000 kids under the age of 24, mm. 18 to 24 on JobSeeker. Um, as you said, you know, when, they're on, when they get in there young, they're on welfare for a long time. I think even if, the, if they get the youth uh, benefits, I think they're up to 25 years on welfare is actually the modelling that they've seen. Explain to me how we've got to be a country that sees a 16, 17-year-old get welfare and in many yep. cases, sadly, they are on that for their life. That's their life. That's yep. all they aspire that, to. That is, that, is, that is no ambition, no aspiration. And you can call that kindness and caring or whatever you want to. But the reality is we're not, you're not showing kindness or caring that you're not facing up to that challenge. And it, you know, here's the deal, right? I mean, when, I, keep, I keep banging on about it, and um, it's hard for the media to understand why I'm so intense about it. But when 55% of our kids are not in school, then you drift off out of school, you go on to unemployment uh, or onto benefit, you're on there for a long period of time. We are literally writing off a generation of young people and I'm not prepared to do that. So we are going to introduce sanctions to make sure people are complying with their obligations. If they're not, we'll cut their benefits. The second thing we're going to do is, particularly for those under 24s, um, we're going to make sure we really push them hard into work and sticking at a job. Um, that is the best thing for them. Um, all of us who had our first jobs, we learned about teamwork, we learned about showing up on time, we learned about work ethic, we learned about a whole bunch of things that are so critical and we just cannot write those kids off. Um, there are amazing young people, just for the record, they are doing incredible things in this yeah. country, but equally we can't write these kids off. And I want parents to step up big time because you know, you've got a choice this week, get your kid to school. It's, you know, they're your child, you had them, you've got to make sure they're set up for a future that's much better than yours and part of that is education. And if we can keep them in school, then we come out of high school actually linking them into work um, and then they get on the way forward and that's a hell of a better pathway than sitting on a life and welfare. It's just not, not on. They might not be right, but if the ANZ are right and there are two more rate hikes coming from the Reserve Bank, how buggered is our economy? Well, I want you to be pretty clear, it's pretty um, fragile. I mean, we're living in a place where we've inherited high inflation, high interest rates in three of the last four quarters and an economic decline. So it's not going to be an overnight fix. It will take some time and it is going to be a tough year. Um, but what we've got to do is to control the bit that we can, which is you know, getting that government spending, that culture of fiscal discipline and stopping the wasteful spending. Last night, I actually called all 48 big CEOs of all the big agencies together for an hour just to talk about my expectations of them um, around you know, getting things done, delivery uh, and ending wasteful spending. We've already done the work on the RBNZ to get them focused on inflation. We're working really hard on, this, on the other bucket, which is about get rid of red tape and costs, 90 days, FBAs, RMA, fast tracking, Auckland regional fuel tax, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's just not adding value. Um, and those are the things that we've got to do. And, and I'll only give you know, lower middle income folk tax relief at the budget in May um, because I trust them to spend the money better than I do yeah. uh, some of the public services. On that subject of the budget, one of the three core pillars was higher business confidence. You already got that tax cuts there coming, obviously. Crown finance is under control. Are we going to see some numbers that you, for people who are interested in that sort of thing, people go, right, that's material and there is some serious change coming in there? Yeah, we are. I mean, we're working incredibly hard. I mean, 
you have to understand all my ministers at the moment are going through their portfolios because what we've found is unfunded projects that were announced by the previous government and there's no money to back it up. Time-limited funding, where they actually cut the money off halfway through the four-year cycle and don't fund it from beyond that period of time. Or what you've seen on things like the ferries, as we talked about earlier, with massive cost overruns on projects that haven't been properly costed. So we're getting a grip on all of that so we know what the state of the reality is. It's not great, is the headline. Uh, and now we've got to work away and make sure we put that culture of financial discipline in place because you know, this is taxpayers' money. It's people who have woken up this morning listening to your show, going to work, paying their taxes, doing everything right, uh, and having the money wasted in the way that it has been. So we are giving the system some shock therapy, uh, which is necessary because um, you know, we need Wellington uh, to, and, and public service in particular to understand. And they want to deliver. They want to do it. But we've got to give them maximum clarity so they can execute what we want them to do and the priorities that are important to New Zealanders. Appreciate your time as always. Christopher Luxon, Prime Minister. For more from the Mike Hosking Breakfast, listen live to News Talk ZB from 6am weekdays or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio.